welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. This week, guest pastor Justin Bolden continues in our series, Baggage. Let's hear what God's Word has for us from guest pastor Justin Bolden. Uh, I want to start, so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, so if you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, or whatever, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. So Antoine hit me up and he said, hey, you got, uh, if you can come through, you're going to talk about pride, and I'm like, oh, great. Because I know that means I'm going to be preaching to myself this morning. So um, there's a lot of you in the room that know me. Uh, A lot of you I don't know. But uh, I have been uh, recently over the last few months, I've been on a a kind of a health journey. Um, And it's been very trying. But um, uh, over the course of this, the past few months, I've lost about 80 pounds. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean... It's amazing. And uh, as I've been going through that process and, you know, losing weight, it's, it's crazy how now all of a sudden I feel like I have, like, more energy, right? Like, I feel like, because, look, I was an athlete coming through school. And uh, made nothing worse than, like, so my youngest son, he went to college to play basketball. Ain't nothing worse than, like, I can't even step on the court with him because uh, my knees are shot. I'm overweight. He's 6'4". As you can see, I am not. There's nothing more humbling than your youngest son taking it to you on the court. But, you know, it was one of those things where, like, uh, it's been a journey. I don't want to get too far into it because we we, we got work to do this morning. But, um, man, it was like having this renewed sense of purpose and energy. And I was thinking about that because, man, my, my unhealthiness was really weighing me down and keeping me from doing the things I wanted to do, doing the things I want to experience. And I thought about that because I really believe that a lot of us in this room this morning are holding on to things that are impeding us from living the life we were created for. And as uh, we're going to look at today, pride is what we're going to, the baggage of pride. Um, One of my favorite theologians, uh, K-Dot, I don't know if y'all are familiar with him. He talks about pride this way. He says, he said, hell-raising, wheel-chasing, new worldly possessions, flesh-making, spirit-breaking, which one would you lessen? The better part, the human heart, you love them or dissect them, happiness or flashiness, how do you serve the question? See, pride has a way of rooting itself inside of us and leading us into destructive behaviors. And our scripture today is from Paul's letter to the Philippian church, and we will see him address the issue of pride and its ultimate remedy. And so my main idea this morning, the thing, if you don't hear me say anything else, I want you to hear this, is that the cross of Christ has freed us from the devastation of pride on our lives. Let me say that again. The cross of Christ has freed us from the devastation of pride on our lives. So if you have your Bibles, Bible app, Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 17. Let's look at verse uh, 17 here. And the first point I kind of want to look at, and that is to walk it out. So look at me with verse 17. Paul writes, For I have often told you, I'm sorry, that's 18. (laughs) Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to, to the example you have in us. 
So I'm going to stop right there. So Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church and he's instructing them, right, to imitate him and to keep their eyes on those who are walking it out. Now, this is an encouragement, right, to see that they are not alone in attempting to live out their faith in an authentic way. Let me ask the question this morning. How many of you in here struggle with this idea of how do I live my faith out in an authentic way? Anybody with me? Yeah, it's a struggle. Like, because look, I grew up in church. So, uh, you know, my whole life I've heard about living at walk. You're, I mean, it was, uh, how's your walk with Christ, right? What does that even mean, <laughs> right? Like, Jesus is literally not beside me. We're not like walking to the store together. Like, what do you mean walk with Christ? And Paul says right here, he says, Keep your eyes, imitate him, he says, but also those who are around you that are walking this thing out in an authentic way. And I believe many of us in here need to hear that encouragement today. Because I know there are many of us that are struggling with this idea of walking out our faith, like to live it out in a real way. I mean, even that phrase, like I said, walking with Jesus has been a struggle for me to try to, how do I put that idea into like a tangible like way that I can grab, like what does that look like, right? And so how do we live authentically for Jesus? And Paul says, it's easy. Watch and imitate those around you who are doing it. Because here's what I know. I may not know how to like phrase it, how to put it into terms that can do it. But you know what? I know some people who look like Jesus, who live their faith out in real ways, right? And, and Paul's like, imitate them. And here's what's crazy. Over the course of my life, what I've understood and come to understand is this, is that the real ones are the ones that show you everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly, right? Because I think so often people struggle when they come into church, they feel like, man, these people got it all together, like, everybody walking around, how are you doing? Blessed and highly favored. How are you doing? <laughs> right? You ever ask somebody how you doing and they answered you honestly? Like, you was just trying to be polite. <laughs> and then they hit you with the whole, well, you asked the question, I'm about to unload it. What I know this to be true, though, is that the people that I've had around me in my life and I can think of many examples. I think back to my grandparents, right? Uh, there's a lady that was in our home church back in our hometown. Her name was Miss Linda. Everybody knows Miss Linda. Y'all probably all got a Miss Linda in your life. She was literally everybody's grandmother, even though she wasn't. You know what I'm talking about? And I watched this lady who had been following Jesus for her I'm going to assume her whole entire life. Matter of fact, I used to, it's not a real joke, but I'm like, man, she's probably not got much time left here because I don't know that you could get any more like Jesus than her. You know what I'm saying? The way she loved people. I'll give you an example. Uh, it's been years ago, but uh, Miss Linda, elderly lady, got mugged in her driveway. Somebody hit her over the head with a baseball bat and stole her purse. 
And I'll never forget because uh, she was the grandmother of one of the students that were in my youth group at the time. And we went to visit her on a Sunday evening. Um, and uh, man, I'll never forget this. And I'll probably get teared up as I'm telling this. But we were sitting in that living room, me, a few of the students, and her and her son and, and his wife and stuff. And we were just sitting there and we're, you know, Miss Linda, man. And we go in and she's got this nasty bruise across her face. And I remember just like, I'm not gonna lie, I had like this moment of rage that welled up inside of me, right? And I'll never forget, you know, we, we go in, we're, we're, we're talking to her, just visiting like, how you doing? And I'll never forget, she's sitting on that couch, I can see her now, and she goes, you know, I just worry about what kind of brokenness that young man has going on in his life. She's like, I just keep praying that God would like heal that. I was like, what? Yeah, she different for real. Like, I'm ready. Like, man, we can ride out. Like, let's go, you know. But she wasn't praying that God would like find him, arrest him. Like, none of that. It was all about like, I just concerned about that young man's life. I need to follow people like that. I need to imitate people like that. This is what Paul's pointing to. He's saying, look, there are people that God has put around you that are living and walking this thing out in a real way. And honestly, we know it when we see it, right? And what I love about that is like, man, Miss Linda, I can remember my grandparents. You know what's more transforming than anything to me personally is when you hear your grandparents talk about how they struggled. Because I had this like elevated view of my grandparents, right? The most godly people I know, like they must have been just walking in Shekinah glory their whole life. And yet here they are, I'll never forget, it's years ago, me and my wife were, at the time, we were separated. We were walking towards a divorce. And for my grandmother to handwrite me and my wife letters and talk about her and my grandfather struggle in their marriage, and how the Lord was gracious and helped heal them and, and restore their marriage. Man, like, you know how much of a gift that is when God puts those people in your life and they not only tell you about the good stuff, but they tell you the bad stuff. Because to be honest, we all, I feel like, understand the bad stuff way better. Like, my walk with God is a struggle every day. And it goes back to this idea of pride, right? Because at the end of the day, when I choose other things over him, what I'm saying is, I don't need you. And we don't want to couch like that. And we're about to get into it because Paul's going to put some stuff out there. But at, at the end of the day, at the root of everything is our desire for ourselves above him. Right? And that's rooted in pride. And so as we look at verses 18 and 19, we'll see that pride devastates by making us uh, my second point, which is enemy of the state. This ain't the Will Smith movie. Verse 18, Paul writes, For I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. So Paul never, like if you go back and read Paul's letters, Paul never speaks of weeping during his beatings. We never see Paul talk about being overcome by grief and weeping. Uh, 
when he is enduring persecution. We never hear him weeping from a jail cell. Matter of fact, he's happy, singing, (laughs) writing letters like, I'm glad to be here. And this isn't like our prisons today, right? If you know what kind of prison he was in back then, it wasn't, it wasn't a three hots and a cot kind of thing, right? But what would cause Paul in this moment to have that deep a sense of grief, that he would weep over this? And it's a grief, I think, over the devastation that those enemies that he refers to are wreaking on the church. See, these were people who were living immoral lives, right? Living lives um, full of sin and just gluttonous and everything else, living it up, embracing every desire they had, and then would attempt to justify their actions by claiming God's grace had covered their sin, right? Like, I come from this background, right? I come from a background in church where we don't want to talk about God's grace because if you talk about God's grace too much, it's just going to give people, quote unquote, license to sin. Right. I come from that place where they would couch it as once saved, always saved. So and I lived this way for years because when I was 14, I went and got uh, sleep deprived and malnourished at a youth camp. And the last night. They hit you with the hard, you know, come to Jesus. And, you know, they use the CIA interrogation tactics. And I said, yes. And I came home the next week and I got baptized at my church. And guess what? Literally left church that morning and went out and did the same stuff I was doing. And lived another 14 years where I just did what Justin wanted. There was no following Jesus. But if you'd have asked me in that moment, I told you I'm straight. Prayed the prayer, got baptized. We good. But if people looked at me, looked at my life in that moment, what would they get the impression of me as someone who was, quote unquote, following Jesus? Right? Me and my my girlfriend at the time, she's my wife now. We had our first kid when we were 16. I'm out partying, drinking, living it up, you know, enjoying life to the fullest. And yet at the same time, I would tell you, guess what? I'm a Christian. And I'm straight because I got baptized. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's he's weeping over these people in this in the church in Philippi who he's like, look, y'all know these people because they're y'all see them. And we know this. They see them living these wild lives, and yet they show up on Sunday and put on this air of, you know, holiness. The problem with holiness is if you look up the definition, it literally means perfection, set apart, right? And God's standard is holiness. And Paul's weeping because These people are influencing others in the church. So this is where it's going to hurt a little this morning, but I'm going to go there. How many pastors resigning over sexual abuse? How many Christians choosing country over compassion? How many 
claiming the name of Jesus as they spew hatred towards entire groups of people have caused those outside the church to despise the name of Christ. We know this to be true. But <laughs> let's not get it twisted this morning. Because if we bring it to a personal level, how many of us in this room this morning walked in today beating our chest about being a follower of Jesus, but are living an unholy life? And look, I told you in the beginning, I'm preaching to myself right now. Like there are things in my life that don't vibe with God. Why do I not lay those things aside? What keeps me holding on to those things? It's literally pride. It's a pride of heart that says, you know what? I know better than God does in that area of my life, right? I'll trust him over here, but man, over here, like with my finances, I probably know better than he does. Like, we cool over here, but like if I walk over here to my relationship with my wife, I'm going to do it my way. Like, that's pride. That's us thinking that we know better. And look, I'm, just, look, I'm preaching to myself this morning. I wish my kids were here because they'd be so mad because I say this all the time. They're like, you use the same three illustrations, but they work. <laughs> When it comes to holiness, right, when it comes to this idea of perfection, you either are or you're not. The same way you're either pregnant or you're not. There's no in between. You either are pregnant or you're not pregnant. You either are holy or you're not holy, right? Look at verse 19. Paul, like, outlines it here in verse 19, right? He starts with, their end is destruction, so what he's saying is the path that they're walking, the ultimate end where they're going to end up is destruction. Now, this has two meanings. It could be like in this life right now, right? So we do things that lead us on a path that takes us to a place we don't want to be. But it also means that ultimately, if they continue down that path, it's an eternal destruction, if you want to get into it, he's going to use the word damnation, right? This idea that they are eternally going to be without the presence of God in their life, right? So he says their end is destruction. Man, I could hit Antoine for giving me this passage. That man, Paul said next, <laughs> their God is their stomach. Now look, <laughs> he's like, man, you're going to do the baggage of pride. I got a passage. Like, cool. So I read the passage. Like, their God is their stomach. <laughs> I was feeling some type of way about that. I was like, Antoine, you trying to, I've been working hard. But look, this is true. And this is what I know to be true. On my journey, so I'm going to use stomach literally right now, right? That was definitely one of my gods. Now, I didn't want to couch it like that. And look, we live in the South, and I'm a pastor. 
Like gluttony is the one sin that's encouraged here, right? Like people are like, like I'll never forget when I became a pastor, I was on staff at a church and like October's Pastor Appreciation Month. Now in the white church, they do it a little differently. Cause I know like in the black church, y'all have like big celebrations and stuff like that. They don't do anything like that. You know what they do? They bake pies and cakes and cookies. And you know, I have to be a good good shepherd, and I have to eat the food that people bring me, right? I'm not going to say no, right? Like, I have to. But here's the thing. Over the course of this, like, journey that I'm in with my health, I love it. It's been this holistic journey because it is nutrition, right? It is mental stuff, but at the end of the day, it's ultimately spiritual. Because what I understand is, for some reason, I'm going to food instead of God, to bring me what I'm looking for? Is it comfort? Is it security? Is it um, happiness, right? Why am I going to food instead of him? So that's literal stomach, but here in the scripture, when he says stomach, other, uh, the ESV says belly, but in the Jewish culture, this is the idea of like the innermost part of you, right? And so what he's saying is for many of them and for many of us in this room, our God ultimately is our desires. And when we're not walking in step in relationship with God, our desires are leading us to destruction. And look, they can be, and look, we know, some of the things we desire and we walk into are bad. Like we know it. Like be, if you live in the South, you grew up in a culture that was all about moralistic living, right? Like, you know, I grew up, the grand bless their little heart, you know, like these like phrases they would have, right? But this, like we know there are some things that are bad, right? Like you like came in hungover this morning, right? And look, I've been there. Like I knew that was wrong. You didn't have to like walk me through an eight-week Bible study to tell me getting plastered at the club the night before and then showing up at church the next morning. It's probably not a path that's leading me to a good place. But here's what's crazy. It can be good things. Like literally coming to church can lead you on a path to destruction. Let me say that again. Literally coming to church can put you on a path to destruction. Because what happens is the reason you come to church is not because you want to commune with our creator who lives and walks with us in relationship, you're trying to check some box and trying to stack these chips that maybe when I get to the end, I'll have enough good to outweigh the bad. But that also is leading you to destruction. And we're going to look at it in a second because I don't want to get ahead of myself. But Paul weeps, right? Because this is this twofold assault that's happening on the body of Christ in this moment. Because one, it ravages our personal lives, but at the same time, it soils the name of the one who we're claiming to follow. And this is bad news. Would everybody agree that's bad news? I mean, he ends it up, right? Their glory is in their shame. Does anyone know what the word like glory means or infers? Like we, that's one of those churchy words, right? Like glory, the glory of Jesus. But what, like, here's what I know. Every one of you in this room glory in something. 
you've went to a restaurant before that was so good. What'd you do? Told everybody, yo, you got to go eat here, right? You might've went, you might've heard a song that somebody just dropped and you sending out Spotify links to everybody. (laughs) I've been there, done that, right? We are created to glory. We glory in stuff all the time. Paul says their glory is in their shame. And what he means by that is like, they are literally proud of the life they're living. Cause see, they got it twisted. They think, look, I can wild out all I want to. It don't matter. Jesus, grace cover me, which there is a kernel of truth in that. But Paul would question you, right? Other place in scripture, like, should the grace of God, I'm paraphrasing, this is the Justin version. Should the grace of God encourage me to keep sinning? Right? Or should the grace of God encourage me to flee from that which takes me further and further away from him? And so that's bad news. But thankfully this morning, Antoine didn't end it at verse 19. He said, go to 21. So that's what we're going to do. And that's the last two verses they and, and our hope It's found in our third point, my third point for this morning, that's citizens. So look at me at verses 20 and 21. Paul says, well, let me, I'm gonna back up. They are focused on earthly things at the end of 19, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. You see, to the church in Philippi, citizenship was a huge deal. So if you know anything about Philippi, it was a colony of the Roman Empire. So many of the people that lived in Philippi were citizens of Rome and many of them were soldiers who had finished out their term, which was 21 years. After they served for 21 years, they could retire from the Roman army. And so many of the people living in Philippi were Roman citizens and everything about their life mimicked what life was like in Rome. Even though they were an outskirt colony way outside actual Rome. Uh, One writer said it this way, In such places, the citizens were mostly soldiers who had served their time, 21 years, and who had been rewarded with full citizenship. So in exchange for serving the Roman military for 21 years, you were now a full citizen of Rome. The great characteristic of these colonies was that wherever they were, they remained fragments of Rome. Roman dress was worn. Roman magistrates governed. The Latin tongue was spoken. Roman justice was administered. Roman morals were observed. Even in the ends of the earth, they remained unshakably Roman. So in essence, Paul is saying that just as the Romans don't forget that they are from Rome, you too, us too, should not forget that we are citizens of heaven and that our life must reflect that. Because literally, we live in the quote-unquote ends of the earth, right? When it says go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and where? 
the ends of the earth. Guess what? Kannapolis, North Carolina. <laughs> ends of the earth. I'm from Pittsburgh, North Carolina. Guess what? Also, ends of the earth. Paul saying, no matter where you're at, remember where you are a citizen, ultimately. Even though you live way out here, at the end of the day, you are one of heaven's citizens. And so everything about our life should reflect that. But then he says this word here, right, that, again, churchy word that we're all familiar with. He says, we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul uses the word savior here because, again, these citizens in Philippi are going to recognize that word. Why? Because savior was the title given to the Caesars. In 48 BC, Julius Caesar was called the savior of all mankind. That was the title bestowed upon him. So when Paul is using this word, he's, he's having a little bit of wordplay, right? He's like, y'all all talking about the savior, but the ultimate savior is the man by this name, Jesus Christ. How is that possible? I'm glad you asked. Because we were very much the people in 18 and 19, very much the people who were walking according to the desires of our flesh, the desires of our life, as Ephesians 2 would say, right? That we were living a life of immoral, licentiousness, whatever big thesaurus word you want to use, but basically we was wilding out. Not only were we wilding out, but we wanted nothing to do with God. But in that moment, when we were very much, very much enemies of his, right? Now we're bringing it back. We were very much outside the kingdom of God, not citizens of heaven. In that moment, Jesus said, you know what? I choose them. In that moment, I choose to give my life as a ransom for them, right? This is the purpose of the cross. Think about it. God is God. He can do whatever he pleases. So why the cross, right? Ultimately, because the wages of sin is death, the Bible teaches us that, right? The word of God teaches us that if we are unholy, we have no ability to commune with a holy God. And again, if you're not perfect, you can't be perfect. There's no, I'm 99.98% good. He's like, I need all 100. So that means we need help. If I want to be able to be in intimate relationship with my creator, I'm going to need help getting there. And Jesus said, you know what? I got you. And so he chose to come on earth. He lived the life we are all called to live, ultimately so that he could give it as a sacrifice. 
but not like the Old Testament where they had to come back year after year with another lamb, another lamb. He's called the lamb of God because this lamb made a sacrifice that covered all the sins of the world forever. The payment has been rendered full. The check is cleared, right? Jesus, in that moment, when he went to the cross and died for our sins, paid the penalty that every one of us was owed to God. But not only that, he resurrected, came back to life three days later by the power of the Holy Spirit to signify that now sin had been conquered. Death had been conquered. That we no longer had to fear sin and death because he had conquered it for us. This is the freedom I want you to all understand this morning. The cross was the ultimate act of humility. God himself humbled himself, came to earth, lived as we live, and gave his own life so that we might be found righteous in his sight. This is the freedom that now you don't have to try to be holy because your holiness is now positioned in Christ. And that if you rest in the work that he's already done, I don't no longer have to fear that God is somehow waiting to condemn me because my freedom is found in him. And all he asks us to do is rest and trust that he has completed the work. But that's hard. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, quote one more of my favorite theologians, little baby. From a J. Cole song, Pride is the Devil. All my pride gone, had to lose it all, then I got rich. Y'all hear that? All my pride gone, had to lose it, then I got rich. See, we lose all pride because we understand that every bit of our hope and happiness are found in Christ and what he has already done. So what do we do with this? Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we can talk about it all we want, but what do we do with that? So as a good Baptist preacher, I got three. As a not-so-good Baptist preacher, I did not alliterate, so here we go. First and foremost, you have to say yes to the gospel. And that's where we let go of our pride and all the devastation that we're experiencing in our life. If you're like me, I sat in church my whole life, and every Sunday, pastor would come down after a sermon, and they'd play a hymn of invitation, right? If you also went to church with me, it was basically just as I am, and I can't remember what the other one was, but I felt like they just went back and forth on the same songs because we only got two good ones. But the whole point of it was to offer an invitation for people to respond to the gospel. Now, I wish I could say they did a great job with it. They didn't. But the concept is valid. Jesus is inviting every one of us into that relationship with him. And literally that relationship happens by trusting and having faith in that he's already done the work. 
So this morning, if you're in here and you've never said yes to following Jesus, I want to encourage you. There's no better time than today. And I hope you understand that he's not asking you to do something. He's literally asking you to trust him. Like I remember I was 28 years old. My marriage was falling apart. My family was torn apart. I was in the deepest, darkest state of depression I'd ever been. And it's like God met me on the floor in a ball of tears on that Sunday morning. And I went to a church that I'd never been to with friends because I didn't want to go to my parents' church that I grew up in. I was like, I feel like God told me I need to go to church and see him this morning, but I ain't going there. So some good friends of mine said, yeah, come with us. Ended up in a church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Never been in there before in my life. There were 600 people in that church. It was, a, it was an installation service. There were like three pastors preaching that day, not counting the one who was getting installed. Yeah. But I tell you what, from the moment I stepped foot in that church, every song that was sung, every prayer that was prayed, every one of them four sermons, it was like I was the only one in the room. And literally, I could, look, I couldn't tell you anything about theology. But what I did know is that God was basically telling me, man, you have spent your whole life running from me. And it wasn't in a condemning way. It was like, look where you've found yourself. But if you'll trust me, if you'll trust me and follow me, I'll show you there's a better way. And that's the truth. That's the honest to God's truth. When I was 28 years old, May 24, 2009, I actually surrendered my life to Jesus. And I couldn't tell you in that moment what that was going to look like. I just knew I didn't want to be where I was at. And one of the most freeing things I've experienced in my life has been this walk with him, learning constantly what it looks like to walk in fellowship with him. So this morning, I want to encourage any of you in this room who have not said yes to following Jesus. What are you waiting for? You came in this morning and you know you're in this spot where you're like, man, I do not like where I'm at. But the beauty of the grace of God is he's been pursuing you all the time. C.S. Lewis called him the great hound of heaven. This idea that he's pursuing. It's the picture of the father running to the son in Luke 15. That's a God who has not been like, all right, you wildin', you do your own thing and come back to me whenever you get your mind right. No, he said, I've been looking for you. And to be honest with you, if you're in this room this morning, it's just more evidence that he's been pursuing you this whole time. So say yes to the gospel. Number two, so life into each day you have. And I ain't gonna lie, this is one where I'm stepping on my own toes. Because we have to discipline ourselves into walking a holy life. So for instance, entertainment. Where do you go to for entertainment? What is it that you enjoy partaking in? I ain't gonna lie, this is a big one for me. I was, uh, I like to say I was born and raised a hip hop head. 
I mean, you see, I'm quoting hip-hop artists. But I constantly am reminded that as much as I may enjoy the craft, as much as I may enjoy the artistry, I have to ask my question, myself that question, is this helping me draw closer to Christ? Is this leading me closer to a walk that looks to those outside like Jesus would walk? But it's not only entertainment, what about your relationships? And that can be any relationship. It could be your marriage, it could be friendships. Do those relationships help you walk towards a path of holiness? And I want to remind you of the beauty of the gospel and as Paul would say, imitating those around you that look like Jesus, every one of those people that you thought of when I talked about that, none of them would tell you that they are perfect. Again, this is not about being perfect. Christ is already perfect. He's made that for us. It's literally, am I in relationship with people who are helping and walking alongside of me, encouraging me to keep following Jesus? Am I sowing those kinds of relationships into my life? And the last one is prayer. And man, we got to close because we can't be here till 1.30. But man, if you're like me, one of the biggest struggles in my life has been my prayer life. Because I grew up in an environment where prayer was just what you did, right? Like how many are going to go to lunch today after service? Everybody got to eat, right? Somebody's, whether it's at home or, right? How many of you say a blessing before you eat your meal? Why? Because I don't want to choke on them chips at the Mexican restaurant, right? Like, have you ever asked yourself, why am I saying a blessing before I eat this meal? I literally... To bless, I literally just do it. But why? Like, I don't, like, if you're like me, if you're like me, I don't want to take the chance. But God didn't say, like, man, if you don't bless that food every time you eat, you walk on that step. It's, it's about relationship. We bless the food because we think the creator who cared for us so much that he would make a cow taste like that when you throw it on a grill and season it that bowl of queso with them chips the God of the universe thought so much of us he gave us tortillas like literally literally I, like, I literally have a friend who posted a picture yesterday he ran out of hot dog buns and used tortillas instead. And I was like, bro, you might've just fell into something right there. I'm really thinking about making hot dogs with tortillas instead of buns. But think about it. A God of all the universe would care so intimately for us. He would like the smallest details. Think about it. You've all experienced it probably at least once in your life, I hope, where like you've been in like a bad place and hope met you there in the most insignificant way you could ever imagine. It wasn't this grand gesture. It was literally the woman on the bus that said, honey, you look tired. Literally, it could be you were out on a walk in nature 
and the sunlight came through the trees and hit you in the face just right where you felt the warmth of it. And you were struck by the fact that there is a God out there that would care for us so much. Prayer is literally our communication line with him. Prayer is not about obligation. Prayer is about desire. Prayer is the fact that I don't have to go to some priest and have him take my uh, needs and everything. Like you don't have to come up here and have me pray for you. Y'all understand that? Through what Jesus did, it says in scripture, right? That in the moment that he, uh, the veil was torn, that now every one of us who before had been told had no access to God, that every one of us have complete unhindered access. And that when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit, he gives you his Holy Spirit inside of you to the point that now you don't have to go to church to talk to him. I can literally be, I'm gonna be riding home today back to Charlotte from Kannapolis. I can talk to God if I want to. The question is, do I want to? Prayer. We have to rediscover prayer. And and I want to encourage you. What does that look like? Man, just have a conversation. You might be in a place where you're like, I'm just straight up mad at God. Guess what? He's okay with that. God desires honesty over wrote religious ritual. God would rather you be honest with him so that you'll see he's big enough to take whatever you're trying to give to him. Prayer, we have to rediscover a robust prayer life that is literally, like I say, I'm going to encourage this because they say make it practical. Literally get alone somewhere because you don't, you know, it's going to feel weird at first, but literally just have a conversation with him. And be honest. My last point is this. What does it look like to do this? It means you have to be in community with people who are walking it out. When you say yes to Jesus, you are instantly thrust into the family of God. You're a citizen of heaven. And the Bible teaches that in that moment, you become part of the body of Christ. And that Paul Paul himself would say it, right? Like every part of the body has to be healthy. So no matter what part we are, I'm probably like the little pinky toe to get stubbed all the time. Whatever part of the body you are, you have to be healthy. Anybody ever stubbed your pinky toe? Have you incapacitated for days? The Bible teaches us that in the family of God, there's not this idea that, hey, I'm doing pretty good, but my sister over here is struggling. She's gonna have to figure that thing out. Literally, we are all now unified, one body, one spirit, under one baptism, he would say. What that means is ultimately my spiritual health is tied up with your spiritual health. And that's encouraging because I need people around me who are gonna be there when I'm struggling. I need to have people in my life when I'm just honestly wanna give up that are gonna tell me, don't quit. I also need people in my life who are gonna celebrate with me. 
because I like to party. But I need people who want to party with me, who are going to encourage me, right? Like, man, we're going to celebrate God's goodness. But you cannot do that isolated. So I just want to encourage, I don't even know what y'all do here. Like, to be honest, I feel like I should know. But if you're part of the Think Kingdom family, I want to encourage you, however y'all do community, whatever way it is, press in. Actually, Antoine told me something. Sorry. There was like a young adult gathering last night. Is that right? Because he told me to look for sleepy faces. But they got the lights dark enough in here and my eyes are going bad because I'm 42 years old. But if you were here last night, that's what I'm talking about. You could have been anywhere in the world, to quote Jay-Z. But you chose to be here. Why did you do that? Because you were desiring to build relationships with other people that you're connected with in community. And I know Antoine enough that that would be his desire for every one of you. Like the, the body, the church is a gift from God. Hebrew says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. He's not just talking about Sunday morning. Even though Sunday morning is spectacular and it's life-giving, but it's just as important to sit at the dinner table with each other Tuesday night. It's just as important to call that brother on the phone because you know he's been struggling and not think like, well, maybe somebody else will do it. It takes every one of us to bring intentionality to the relationships so that the community can flourish. And the flourishing of community is ultimately about the glory of God because you know what? The city of Kannapolis is looking. They're watching, whether you believe it or not, they're watching Think Kingdom. And they're looking at how you guys are living it out. And more importantly, they're looking at how you're loving one another. And I'm going to end here. Jesus literally said, they will know that they are my disciples by what? Their love for one another. We have to practice loving one another. And you cannot do that isolated. So I want to encourage you this morning as we close to press in to community, to sow holiness into your life, and ultimately believe in the truth and the power of the gospel that tells us that Jesus loves us right where we're at. That concludes this week's message. If you were blessed by anything you heard in today's podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And if you are in Kannapolis, Charlotte, or surrounding areas, come on by and visit us at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina, Sundays at 1033. You can also join us online Sundays on Facebook and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe to us and also check us out on Instagram under Think Kingdom. As always, you can go back and hear this message and so many more right here on our Think Kingdom podcast.